0: Hello everyone! Welcome to another episode of For Light in Life. I'm your host, Lucy, and today we're focusing on a very well-known organization in the Star Wars universe, the Jedi Order. There is so much to be said about the Jedi, and we'll be covering things like their history, the Jedi Code, their ultimate downfall, and why Anakin had such a hard time. This is a topic I have actually been planning to do for a very long time, It was one of the episodes I had brainstormed before For Light and Life was even officially released. So I'm very excited to discuss this, but before we get into that, there are a couple announcements to talk about. First of all, a vast majority of you already know about the VCU illustration project, but we're so close to finishing it that I need to continue advertising. Last week I wrote a fun opening crawl style ad, and this week I've got something even more ridiculous. I wrote a limerick. Even if you don't recognize this word, most of you probably have heard this popular style of poem before, and they really are just fun and amusing little poems. So without further ado, here is my limerick about the VCU illustration project. Some Empire Radio fans had interesting Star Wars-y plans. They recorded their voices and made story choices, and an audio drama began. It was then Jeremiah confided, that of artwork some fans provided, could fit the voicemails and all they entailed, t'would truly make viewers excited. And so we all humbly request, the artwork you send is the best, to illustrate sound with Star Wars abound, and finish the VCU quest. Well, I loved every second of that. I struggled with the final stanza the most, just because of all the weird rhyming that I had to fit. But I think the poem overall gets the story across. If you can make any sort of art or visual representation, please take a look at the Google Doc in the description, which has instructions for exactly how to submit your work. We are so close, everybody. Let's finish the Voicemail Cinematic Universe project. Also, last episode, I put a Q&A on Spotify asking what theater productions you all have been in. Addy says, none though I'd like to be. Very fair, though I will say, Addie, your acting skills are highly impressive for someone who has never officially acted before. And Dave SCPSM says, I have not been in any theater production, but your new VCU opening crawl is awesome. Thank you, Dave. I'm very glad you liked it. Hopefully, you enjoyed my limerick, too. Next, I've just got a quick little plug for our favorite Harry Potter podcast, The Gryffindor Common Room. It's hosted by my friends Retta and Michelle, and they very kindly invited me to guest on their podcast. That episode is actually already out, so after you listen to this, head on over to the Gryffindor Common Room, wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out our discussion on the Goblet of Fire. There's a link in the description if you need a hand finding it. It was so much fun, we had tons of banter and Harry Potter jokes, and frustrations over certain magical schools please head on over there and give them a five-star rating and send them a voicemail or email to let them know that we just appreciate them so much. Moving right along, we've got our recognition month as usual. June is Pride Month. It's a time to celebrate members of the LGBTQIA2S plus community and promote general respect in the world. In case you don't know, this acronym LGBTQIA2S represents the many labels of gender identity and sexual orientation out there that help people express themselves and find peace. And the important thing, as always, is to be understanding and accepting. And during this segment, I will abbreviate this acronym to just LGBT for the sake of a shorter term that is easier to say, not because I'm trying to exclude certain labels. Before we spotlight some influential people, I'd like to share a well-known historical event known as the Stonewall Riots. This inspiring uprising took place in June of 1969, which is why June is now Pride Month in honor of that milestone. Basically, the Stonewall Inn in New York City is a gay bar, which is a safe space open to people in the LGBT community when many establishments were hostile toward them. That was commonly raided by police, But on one such raid on June 28th, the situation got out of hand and tensions began between gay community members and the local police. By the middle of July, activist groups had formed the neighborhood protesting for the right to express their sexual orientation without facing legal punishment. Soon after that, these rights gained support in a few newspapers and the social movement took shape. In honor of those early activists, worldwide celebrations take place every June including the 5 million participants in Stonewall's 50th anniversary in 2019. That year, the NYC Police Commissioner formally apologized for the actions of officers during the Stonewall riots. And as our final act this segment, I would like to draw your attention to some very accomplished members of the LGBT community. For one, we have Leonardo da Vinci, who is widely recognized as being gay and has produced so many beautiful pieces of art such as the famous Mona Lisa. Christine Jorgensen, the first transgender woman to have sexual reassignment surgery, was a World War II veteran and a successful singer and actress. Sally Ride, the very awesome first female American astronaut, had a long relationship with Tam O'Shaughnessy, her female partner, though she didn't come out as lesbian until after her death. Finally, Harvey Milk prevented a project that would ban gay people from teaching in California public schools, and was one of the first openly gay officials elected in America. And an opera, documentary, and feature film have been made about his story. If you want to learn more about influential people in the LGBTQIA2S community, there's a link in the description to a very helpful website. As our final announcement before we get into the meat of this episode, this is the official spoiler warning for the general plot of Star Wars regarding Jedi. If you somehow don't know what happens in Revenge of the Sith and don't want to, then maybe this isn't the best episode for you right now. I do also give some more minor spoilers for Clone Wars, Return of the Jedi, sequel stuff, and The Mandalorian, but it's really not any more than is already all over the internet. And now, let's talk about the Jedi Order. To start this discussion, I'll give a brief overview of their history in the Star Wars universe. So, the Jedi Order was originally founded 25,025 years before the Battle of Yavin on the planet octu but even before that, there was a pre-Jedi group called the Dai Bendu, who created holocrons and first began studying the Force. The Jedi found Force-sensitive children around the galaxy and took them back to various Jedi temples to be trained, which is pretty shady if you ask me, and... Eventually, they became this huge organization across the galaxy. Now, during the time of the High Republic, which began 500 years before the Battle of Yavin, the Jedi largely acted as a sort of galaxy-wide sheriff protectors. There were some stationed on various planet outposts to help people there long-term. There were some who just waited for crises, then rushed off to help. There were some who taught younglings... They didn't really get involved in politics too much. They weren't just minions of the Republic. They truly valued life and light above all else. It really was the golden age of the Jedi. They knew how to be compassionate towards all living things without being possessive. But of course, all good things must come to an end. Because in just a few hundred years, we find ourselves around the time of the prequels, with a whole bunch of corrupted Jedi who think they know what's best for the galaxy. And in their defense, they do try very hard, but as a whole, they have a whole bunch of problems. One of the things that isn't the most commonly known for casual Star Wars fans is that there are actually multiple Jedi temples, not just the one on Coruscant that we usually see. There were so many more outposts and temples during the High Republic, but even during the Clone War, there were at least a few dozen. Moving on to the Age of the Empire, obviously the Jedi are wiped out, only a handful are scattered across the galaxy, and they're just living and hiding until at last the Rebellion blows up the second Death Star and kill Palpatine, good riddance, Luke starts his own mini Jedi temple and tries to teach some students, and we think everything is just gonna be great! And then there's a massacre again, and now there are even fewer Jedi, and plus most of the Jedi who survived the original Purge have now died one way or the other. So we've got, like, four-ish, four sensitive light side users at this point, and then more of them die, so we've got two! But the good news is, the galaxy has hope, because we've still got Room Kid. Empire Radio listeners will appreciate that reference. And that, my friends, is the very brief summary of the history of the Jedi. We've got some high points, we've got some more low points. It's just a pretty mixed bag with Jedi. Next, I'd like to talk about the Jedi Code, because it's got a lot to do with the fall of the Jedi, and it's a really thought-provoking subject. The Jedi Code is what it sounds like. It's a bunch of laws and guidelines for how a Jedi should act, to ultimately help as many people as possible. We don't really know what its exact wording is, but from all the information that has been gathered from Star Wars media, we can take away these key points. Jedi can't give in to anger at people, kill an unarmed opponent, seek revenge, train more than one Padawan at a time, have attachments, and of course, they can't deal in absolutes. That would absolutely be like a Sith Obi-Wan joke there for ya. If you know, you know. In addition to that really technical book of laws, the Jedi had a mantra that they would repeat to themselves for encouragement and guidance, which was, there is no emotion, there is peace. There is no ignorance, there is knowledge. There is no passion, there is serenity. There is no chaos, there is harmony. There is no death, there is the Force. Well... I've got some problems with this. There is no emotion- who are you kidding? Of course people are gonna have emotions, that's how we're people! And there is no death? Obviously, whoever wrote this does not understand the food chain. (laughs) Now, I know I'm taking this very literally, and they don't actually mean emotions don't exist, I think, but I still don't like how it's phrased. Which is why I am so glad that a different, and arguably better, version of that mantra exists. Emotion, yet peace. Ignorance, yet knowledge. Passion, yet serenity. Chaos, yet harmony. Death, yet the Force. This is how I still have hope for the Jedi, even after all the problems I'm about to talk about. This is a much better code, in my humble opinion, because it acknowledges the inevitable, while still showing a path forward. Yes, there is still death in the galaxy, but within that pain and darkness, the Force is that bit of purity always present in it. Yes, there's a whole lot of chaos still, but despite that, you can still find refuge in little pockets of harmony that can be found when you let yourself look. Now that's a set of rules I can get behind. I wonder, if Anakin had been taught this second mantra, Maybe he would have been able to cling to the light a little longer and find the force within death. I mean, can you really blame the guy? He grows up being taught that death doesn't exist, and even if it does, you have zero feelings about it. And then everybody he cares about dies and he's super sad? This huge part of his life is just being invalidated, which is awful. Do the Jedi help Anakin process his feelings and validate his experiences? I mean, it's possible that they did and we just didn't see it, but given everything we know about the Jedi at this point in time, it's safe to assume they didn't. They probably made him go meditate, which is great and all, but it doesn't work for everyone. There is no single method of processing grief that works for everyone. We've got an angsty young man whose prefrontal cortex is still developing, and what do we tell him? Oh, just do some super deep soul searching for a while. That'll clear everything right up. But if Obi-Wan or Yoda or some other nice Jedi chap had just talked to him and said, Hey, I get that you're feeling this way. I understand you've had a huge loss. I get that you feel responsible and that you weren't strong enough to save your mom. All these really hard things are happening, man. That is the truth. And we're not going to deny it. Things are pretty dark. But even within this grief, there's still some light, even if you don't see it right this moment. There is a path forward. There is a life after this. This pain does end because there's peace and harmony and the Force within all things. They're just buried further down sometimes. If some representative of the Jedi Order had said something like this to Anakin after Shmi died, maybe things would have been different. But they didn't. And on top of that, because the Jedi of the Clone Wars took the code so much more literally than the Jedi of the High Republic, Anakin was always living in fear that he would be expelled for having romantic feelings toward Padme. Because, newsflash, the Jedi code doesn't actually forbid romantic or familial love. Jedi are encouraged to be compassionate and develop bonds with their Padawans or masters. The danger isn't in love. The danger has never been in love. The danger is when you try to control death and when you become so attached to a person that you would let a thousand people die to save that one. And unfortunately, that is just where Anakin ended up. He became possessive of Padme and would rather save her than save the rest of the galaxy, and he was blinded instead of comforted by love. Along this same line of thinking, we also see Anakin and Ahsoka develop a very strong familial bond, And although there are several instances where they do put the other above the general safety of the galaxy, such as when Anakin opens the holocron for Cad Bane to save Ahsoka, they do reach a point of trust where Anakin can let Ahsoka leave the Order and find her own path. And yet, fast forward to The Mandalorian Season 3, spoilers, we see Ahsoka specifically saying that attachment is dangerous and she will not train Grogu because of his attachment to Dinjarin. My best guess for why she has this change of heart is that she realizes over time that a big part of Anakin's fall was his attachment to Padme, and she knows it could be the start of a dark path. Another factor could be that her attachment to Anakin caused her a lot of pain when he turned to Darth Vader, and she wants to protect others from going through that same heartbreak. But that's just my personal theory. Either way, it's so sad to me that this one situation where love went too far puts a gray shade over all love for Jedi. In Season 7 of Clone Wars, Obi-Wan was able to put aside his feelings for Satine, even when bo was trying to guilt him into helping her. Because I cannot allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. Isn't Obi-Wan great? I mean, that's an example of when love does not equal possession. Of course, the poor man was very conflicted and guilty for most of his adult life because of this relationship. But if he had understood that he's not a bad Jedi for having romantic feelings for someone, maybe he wouldn't have been so anxious all the time. Personally, I'm a little torn between supporting love versus not for Jedi. I mean, yes, it does make their quest for healing and saving people a tad more difficult sometimes. But a lot of times, that love for life helps them heal. Yes, this one group is sort of nobly giving up attachment so that the rest of the galaxy can have attachment and peace. But also, they didn't sign up for this. The way younglings go to the temple is a glorified kidnapping. As two-year-olds, they don't get a say in if they want to nobly give up all personal things to save the galaxy. Of course, if you're raised in a place that promotes a certain way of life, that's the only way you know. You don't know to question it! Personally, I don't think I would want to be a Jedi. There are more ways to help people than by being in this one religious group. There are more ways to spread kindness and healing than by following this one life template. Your choices are not be a Jedi or be evil. There's the rebellion, the resistance, planetary guards, humanitarian organizations. Just doing your own individual acts of kindness for people. Like... Jedi are cool and all, but I would much rather be like Ahsoka and forge my own path to find my truth instead of just absorbing what one type of people tell me. I think this is why the Jedi ultimately fell at the end of the Clone War. They were so divided as a group. They were starting to doubt each other, and they were tired of the war, and they didn't know what to believe. They relied too heavily on clones and being blind soldiers to the Republic, so they were not at all prepared when those things turned against them. They were so corrupted by politics that the public already had their doubts about Jedi, so people were fully ready to believe when Palpatine announced Jedi were traitors. Yes, Palpatine planted some of those seeds throughout his career, but it was not entirely him. I think even without Palpatine, the Jedi would have gotten closer and closer to becoming extensions of the Republic rather than allies with them. They were already starting to fall in that direction, Palpatine just gave them a good push to hurry it along. Like, Palpatine did not make the Jedi corrupt so he could prove it to Anakin. He just took what was already there and magnified Anakin's emotions about it. Little Annie was very right the Jedi did not trust him. Most of the Council was against him from the start because he was too old and he had a prophecy stuck to his back. Old Palps just reminded him of it constantly. Anakin was right that the Council was using him to get what they wanted. Palpatine just elaborated on it. This was the true downfall of the Jedi. Welp. This has been another very long discussion with Lucy. We don't have any voicemails to play this week, so we're just going to transition on over to our Drabble. If you are unfamiliar with this term, a Drabble is a short story that is exactly 100 words long, and I read one I wrote every episode. This week, we've got a little Anakin and Obi-Wan story called Detached, and here it is. Anakin. Obi-Wan cleared his throat and knelt next to the starship the younger man was tinkering with. Padme told me about Tatooine. Anakin, I'm so sorry. His former Padawan's voice was distant. Are you disappointed in me too? That I let my anger get the best of me? What? Obi-Wan's brow furrowed. He only knew that Anakin was struggling with Shmi's recent death. Never mind. Do you want to talk about it? You wouldn't understand. Then help me understand, Obi-Wan pleaded. You wouldn't want to be me. That's fine. I wouldn't want to be me either. Well, be very grateful you do not have to hear the very long struggle I just had with doing both Obi-Wan and, like, teenage grumpy Anakin voices. (laughs) In the spirit of attachment and all of Anakin's problems, I decided to play off of how Obi-Wan tries so hard to be the perfect Jedi and not get attached. That's one of the really interesting things about his relationship with Anakin. Both of them feel this disconnect Anakin feels like Obi-Wan doesn't really care about him. Obi-Wan is just trying to be a good example to this Padawan Qui-Gon left him. I think Obi-Wan really doubts his abilities to teach Anakin, especially at first. And because of that, he puts so much effort into modeling the perfect by-the-book behavior. But sometimes he forgets that compassion and empathy are light side traits that he is supposed to have, and Anakin reads that as a lack of interest. And, of course, we had to have a Sand People reference in there when Anakin mentions his anger. After all, he didn't only kill the men, but also the women and the children. If you have any thoughts about this episode, you want to contact me, or you just have a minute to help this show expand, here are some ways you can do so. You can send me an email through my fan email, which is forlightandlife.podcast at gmail.com. This is great if you have something you want to tell me, but for whatever reason, you can't send in a voicemail. That being said, you can absolutely send me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. There's a link in the description for that. As long as it is family-friendly and you have not specifically asked me not to, then I will play it on the show. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. This helps new people come over and find the podcast. Go ahead and follow the show if you like these sort of episodes. It comes out every other Sunday. Finally, please share the show with your community so our community can grow. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Lucy, and let's look for the light and life in our world together.